Good morning. Sorry to interrupt some wonderful conversation. Uh, my name's Carola, uh, or Barry White today. Um, I'm reading the Bible for us, um, which you can find on the screen behind me. If you have the blue Bible, it's approximately page 1114, or on your device in your hand. We are reading Acts 20, from verse 17 to the end of the chapter. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you from the first day I came into province of Asia? I served the Lord with great humility, with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he brought with his own blood, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. A number of us this year are doing the Corporate Cup. Uh, yeah, Corporate Cup. Uh, if you don't know what it is, you basically run around like a crazy person for about 12 weeks and try and get as many kilometres done as you can as a team. So far this year, since April 2, our team has done 930 kilometres as of this morning. That's pretty good. Um, thank you, yeah. There's a, I don't know. Amanda's in doing it. She's in kids, so is Narelle. I can't, anyway, uh, if you're on my team, sorry, I, I can't see you at the moment. Um, but hey, a little while back, two weeks ago, we were just shy of one of the goals. You have to, they give you this, uh, the big things to run to in Australia, like the big 
Bogan, the big rocking horse, all that sort of thing. Um, and we were just shy of a goal, and they said, everyone said, oh, can, we just need six Ks, can someone do it? I said, yeah, I'll do it again. So I laced up and did a second run for the day and um, did the six Ks, got really tired, and the next day I went, oh, I feel flat. Why do I feel flat today? Turns out um, I didn't adjust my calories to the double run I'd done, the extra run, take into account the extra effort. See, if I'm going to run the distance, I need the right inputs to keep going. The right inputs make me stronger, don't they? And you feel it when you don't have them. Question for you, question for us, what will make our church strong? What, what will strengthen our church? What is it going to be? What are the God-given inputs to make us strong? Not for a season or 12 weeks, but for the long haul, a lifetime. Now, there's a few ways the Bible answers that question. One way from Acts 20, which is what we heard, is about being deep, deep and wide in the Word of God. And in fact, if you read all of Acts 20, that's the theme running through the whole chapter. Even that poor incident with Eutychus falling out the window, uh, it's all about being deep and wide in the Word. Now, at this point in Paul's life, he's not planting any more churches. He's traveling back to Jerusalem, and along the way, he's visiting churches to strengthen them. Uh, Charlie Moore, one pastor, captures the thought of this passage so well, and I, I put it as a quote, Paul is not evangelizing, but recalling an already evangelized community to its deepest insights. Recalling its deepest insights. What are they? What's the deepest insight that a bunch of people who love Jesus need to know? The gospel. Paul's going deep and wide in God's word with them, because it turns out being strong as a Christian is remarkably simple. The big diet of God's Word because it has enough calories to keep us going. Now, I don't want to be over-simplistic here because there's more going on than Paul just saying, get full-on Bible carbs in Acts 20. He's at a place called Miletus and he's chatting to the leaders of the Ephesian church. Four times the Ephesian church appears in the Bible, uh, a bit earlier on in Acts 19. Here in Acts 20, he writes a letter to them in Ephesians and then Revelation, he writes to them again. So one of the churches we have some of the most information about in the New Testament. And what he does is remind them of his time with them and the inputs that will make them strong so that they can lead a church to be healthy and strong. And you see the ideas of protection, imitation and tears are here swirling around as well. So come with me, four points today as to what it means to be a healthy church. First thing, from 17 to 21, preaching whatever is helpful that leads to faith and repentance. Preaching whatever is helpful leading to faith and repentance. What's so striking here is how much time Paul spends reminding them of his time with them. You know, I did this, you remember, you saw me. His own life is an example of living and feeding on God's word. You see his diet in verse 19. He says, With great humility and tears and in suffering, I preached whatever was helpful, Jews and Gentiles, from house to public, so that people would turn and have faith in Jesus. He's loving them, he's preaching, he's proclaiming, he's serving. That's what he's doing. God is using those parts of Paul. But notice really carefully what God's doing and what Paul's doing. God is changing people's hearts and transferring them into his kingdom. And Paul is using the God-given inputs to strengthen a church and do that. 
You see, Paul's not saving anyone. He's not trying to do God's job. But to work with God to make Jesus known to Jews and Greeks, to all people, the news they must turn in faith and repentance to Jesus. And his preaching, which is just a way of saying he's announcing the good news of Jesus, was done constantly, public to private. There was no two faces to Paul. And it was always helpful, wasn't it? You see, being faithful as a Christian is more than just saying, Jesus loves you, drop the mic, go to another city. Jesus loves you, and on you go. Paul is constantly asking, what's the best way with these people to talk about Jesus, to take risks, to endure pain and hardship so I can explain the gospel, love people, preach the whole counsel of God as best I can, as helpfully as I can? Last week, we talked about gospel opportunities. And I know, talking to you, many of you had them in the week. And to build on this, looking for gospel moments in our weeks, think about as well, what is going to be most helpful when they come up? Ask yourself, how has God gifted me to be me to talk helpfully about Jesus in your own way? And be faithful to that. Let God focus on the results because that's his job. So we see a strong church is word-based, doing what is helpful to the cause of the gospel. Secondly, Paul reminds them his life isn't his own. A strong church adopts an outlook that values the gospel above your present conflict. It's living as if your life isn't your own. This is 22 to 25. Many of you are new parents, or will be, as Tom uh, said before. And new parents are quick to discover that taking care of a little human is quite a demanding thing. First, it's managing all the physical needs, food, care, nappies, moving their body, not putting things in their mouth, that sort of thing. Then you navigate to the emotional and social developments, friendships, peers, they have opinions, they're exposed to the world, all that stuff. And then they tell me as your kids get even older, it doesn't quite stop either, it just gets on and on and on. Um, And you quickly realise as a parent that your life is no longer your own when you have kids. Parenting confronts you with the reality that you're not your own. Not 51% not your own, but like 100% you are not your own anymore. <clears throat> and in the same way, Christianity comes and asks you to think about who you belong to. Not just 51% of yourself and then 49 to Jesus, but saying, do you belong 100% to him? Because if you have faith in him... You belong to God, purchased with his blood, and like a parent, I now live my life, not my own. Therefore, if I can ask you an existential question on Father's Day, who do you belong to? Christians, they belong to God. And once you get that, once you see who you belong to, you can face anything, even the fear of death. Because once you know who you belong to, you realize Jesus has already faced it for you. You see, if life is all about you, you'll try and preserve it as long as you can, as hard as you can, with all the resources you have to make it comfortable. And you'll find uncertainty really uncomfortable. But when you know the who, you can be concrete on the task at hand, testifying about the good news of God's grace, says Paul, And it means you can hear hard things from God as well and navigate challenges. Twice, in 22 to 25, twice Paul says, the Spirit has compelled him that hardships are to come. 
Now, if, if you belong to the who, you can hear that. In fact, Paul received this from the Spirit, not as good advice, but actually a command. You see, as he chats away to the Ephesian leaders of the church here, they're being told to adopt the same outlook in life. Yes, they're not being told to go to Jerusalem and face persecutions. You are not being told to go to Jerusalem at this point. But all of us are compelled by the Spirit to testify about our life being changed by God's grace, to ask ourselves the question, well, who do I belong to? You see, being a strong church is about adopting an outlook in life that says, I am not my own. It was preaching about whatever is helpful towards faith and repentance. And third, in 26 to 31, it's keeping watch. If you've ever uh, worked, and I'm sure most of you have, you notice that every job has its own unique set of tools, right? Plumbers need pipes and shovels, uh, engineers, calculators, I guess. I'm not an engineer. Um, uh, you work with really small numbers. Well, some of you do. Some of you work with big... But uh, anyway, um, accountants need spreadsheets, you know. And if, if, uh, if the plumber's shovel breaks, well, she needs to get a new one. Or if you are working by a computer, you get the new version of Office. Or you need a new calculator or something, whatever. Um, you see, one of the primary tools as a Christian that we have is actually our hearts. Sometimes our heart's devoted to Jesus, and sometimes it's divided. Sometimes our heart finds joy in Jesus, and other times it finds joy elsewhere. Sometimes our heart trusts Jesus, and sometimes it trusts itself. And Paul knows that, and he says, therefore, keep watch over yourself and the flock. Now, that's especially true for a Christian leader, but also a family, or actually anyone who knows and loves Jesus, to keep watch. The reason is, and say it another way, don't let what God wants you to do get in the way of who God wants you to be. Don't let what God wants you to do get in the way of who God wants you to be. Your heart and life before God being brought under his word is most necessary more or before you do anything. And then Paul says three things to explain this. Firstly, his own example. Again, he appeals to himself in verse 26 and 27. He kept watch on his teaching, proclaiming the whole counsel of God in verse 27. Now, when you read Acts, you forget the time span of things. Sometimes the Bible slows us down to hours over chapters, and sometimes through verses you actually jump generations. And so you have to be mindful sometimes of what, what time period has happened. From going to Ephesus to here is about a three to four year period. Paul spent three years in Ephesus with these people. So when he says you know this, he's not saying you saw it for a weekend, but they saw it for three whole years. Think back 23, 22, 21, 20. think back to just when COVID happened to now. Yeah, that's the same period. Paul has kept watch over his content for those three years to make sure he's leading them through the whole of the Bible, getting to the cross of Jesus and his blood so they can be forgiven and understand that. Therefore, watch that you're both deep and wide in the word. Don't be a one-trick pony. Secondly, think about who appointed them or who calls you as a Christian. Verse 28 is the reminder that the church belongs to God and is in his care. It's simple. But I wonder how often we operate as if we think we own the church. Keep, um, the two imperatives are keep, watch, and shepherd. And verse 28 is the centerpiece where Paul is leading us to here because they're to watch and remind themselves who appointed and saves them. The blood of Jesus, 
has brought the people of God and the Holy Spirit appointed them to look after and guard the people of God. They shepherd his church with the sheep metaphor. Therefore, no pride, no arrogance, no heavy-handedness, no form of any coercion is fit or suitable for any church. That is not what Jesus the shepherd is all about. And his people can never operate from that position. And if you don't remember the who, you'll think what God wants you to do is who are more important than God wants you to be. But also there's an order. Notice he says, watch yourself first. Guard yourself. Again, spiritually fit, using the inputs God gives us for life and vigor. And it's the reminder that everyone's a sheep. Every single Christian is a sheep. You might be shepherding God's people in some way, in some capacity. It might be your sweat and tears that's, that's put into everything you do, but it's Jesus' blood that does the saving, not yours. Your sweat and tears cannot move an ant closer to God, but Jesus' blood does. Then in verse 32, just to remind it again, Paul says, the inheritance you get, no matter what you do in the church, is the same as everyone else. Peter, in his letter, says, we have a faith of equal standing. Therefore, if you know Jesus, you're the same level as Peter the Apostle and, and Paul here. Therefore, your own spiritual habits are very important. Don't let <clears throat> what God wants you to do get in the way of who God wants you to be. Watch yourself, then be an example of grace to others. And as you do, watch out for the wolves. Now, Paul's got an idea in his head when he says this is the sheep metaphor. It's the shepherding and wolves take the sheep. But what actually makes someone a wolf in his, his picture he's getting across to them? Well, it's someone who distorts or twists the truth of God so that someone's lured away from the care of Jesus the protection of Jesus and the local church. If you've ever um, looked at AI images, um, you'll notice generally there's something to be off about them. And it's usually the fingers or the eyes, or there's a part of it just like a bit creepy and you think that's not quite genuine, is it? It's a bit of a distortion. And mostly they're harmless and just good fun. And you may have even used um, some AI in your workplace, like ChatGTP or even Stable Diffusion. If you don't know what that means, don't worry. But you may have used it. My point is, sometimes it gets passed off as real. In fact, there was a photography contest in the States a few months back. The winning photograph was an AI image, and the person submitted it to see if it could get through, and lo and behold, it won. A big uproar. Sometimes the distortion is passed off as real. Same idea. Paul says these wolves, they're distorting the word of God. It sounds almost right. That's what a distortion is. <laughs> and those who do this are not just trying to create something fun with AI, but they're deadly and dangerous who only want to feed on the sheep as a wolf does. Wolves ravage your flock. They tear it apart and leave people bleeding, hurt, and divided while only advancing their agenda, all pretending to be faithful to God's word. And worse still, sometimes those in the church are wolves because he says some may even come from your own number. But did you see what a shepherd does that wolves don't do? Verse 31. Shepherds cry over the sheep constantly. Wolves won't seek your best, but leaders who watch themselves and weep for the sheep, that's what we need. Finally, keeping the sheep and wolf image in your mind, a strong church is committed to living out God's grace in all areas of our life. 
Notice in verse 32, Paul begins by saying, I commit you to. That's what a shepherd does. They warn and watch. A shepherd points you to God's grace that comes from his word, committing you not to the shepherd's care, not to my care, but to the care of Jesus himself. And you can tell a a good shepherd because he gets his hands dirty with the sheep, not to feed on them. See, when Paul says, encourage us to help the weak, it's remembering that even leaders aren't above helping others. Because sometimes, sheep, us, you just need care and love. Nothing wrong with you, you just get hurt, beaten and bruised and battered up doing life. And the shepherd is there to lead you to Jesus. In contrast to a wolf who preys on the weak, a good shepherd works to help them alongside them. Which means in the church, caring for each other is first and foremost a spiritual exercise. You're not just brains on sticks walking around. You cannot love and care without giving attention to the physical needs. And everyone works to this end. And then what's so interesting about Paul's final words, he says he kneels down and he prays, is that you and me picked up on, as you heard the reading, and I've skipped over bits, but I'm sure as you heard it, bits stood out to you, you know, they're compelled by the Spirit, the, my life's not my own, keep watching God. But do you know what they picked up on when Paul said this? They heard something else. Verse 38, what grieved them most was that they would never see him again. Part of keeping watching guarding is knowing the people around you, valuing relationships. Remember in verse 17, it began with Paul saying, I want to seek them out one last time. <clears throat> in 36, he knelt down and prayed with them. Relationships in the church are not unimportant. We thrive on being connected to God and others. <clears throat> but here's the thing. The gospel enables you to put relationships in their proper place. One of the unique parts of Christian community is that we separate at times so more people can be connected. We do this because we're already full of the love of Jesus. Not seeking love from others for our identity, but once full of Jesus' love, you love and care well. You can be loved in return. You're emotionally available, connected, interested. But all the while, you're safe in the love that God has for you in Jesus. You see? It's the, t- it's the fact that other Pauls will come along into your life for a season. Godly men and women who will teach you God's word, who be an example. And I'm sure many of you have, can reflect and think upon people that have done that. Yet, for a season, they're there and then they're gone. They nurture us, they encourage us. But Jesus says, I'll be with you to the end of the age. You see, God's people will find strength by being deep in the word, wide in the word. We'll find strength by imitating people who are deep and wide in the word as well. In all the ways we saw here today. So therefore, I said at the start, what will strengthen our church? May I push that home and say, what will strengthen you? And I do want to say something to fathers here, to us, because it's Father's Day. Are you not just working hard, fathers, to provide for your family, but are you living and demonstrating a life committed to God's word and grace? If Paul is telling the Ephesian leaders to be deep and wide in the word, fathers, are you leading your family to be deep and wide in the word? Are you committing them to God and his grace? Verse 32. As Paul was a role model to the Ephesians, are you a role model? Scratch that. You are a role model. What sort of role model do you want to be? 
how to love, protect, lead and care and guide. Many of you would know a Christian man called A.W. Tozer. Very famous, wrote some incredible books. He's the sort of guy that he writes one paragraph and other people take a whole book to write, you know. Um, he was a theologian, an author, uh, over 12 books, 40 papers, a radio station, helped thousands come to faith. I suspect no one here will ever be as influential as him. But you know there was one quarter of his life where they wished he was a little bit more influential over? His family. He was a mediocre, horrible father. And I say that because of what his wife and kids said of him. They lived dissatisfied, lonely lives with a man who was distant and cold. Tozer is long remembered as a great man of God, and he was by many respects, but fidelity in one part of your life does not automatically transfer to the other. Ten years after his death, his wife remarried, and she said this, I have never been happier in my life. Tozer loved Jesus, but Leonard, her new husband, loves me. I'm very glad that I'll never be remembered as the wife of A.W. Tozer. Fathers, no area of your life is off limits to Jesus. Live in such a way that your family has no doubt that you love Jesus and them. Don't divide it. Pray, as Paul did, that your kids wouldn't just thrive as humans, but value the gospel in their life to risk for the sake of the gospel beyond everything else, knowing who they belong to. Don't just give them a nice life, give them a godly life. And then for the rest of us, as we reflect on this, can I ask that we will be a church like this too? That we will be faithful in the task God has given to us, watchful, protecting from wolves, encouraging, committed to God and the word of his grace and committing one another. You know, six years after Paul wrote to the um, leaders here, he wrote a letter to them. It's a book of Ephesians. You can read it. Um, and he, in this letter, he prays for them. And maybe this could be our prayer that you pray for our church in this coming week. Ephesians 3, 16 to 21, but to verse 19 especially. I pray, think of, think of Paul knowing all the, the, the leaders, he's at the beach, he said these words, and he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell on your heart through faith. And I pray that you, y'all, use being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love which that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the measure of the fullness of God. Let's pray that for our church, shall we? Our great God, we've just prayed that with Paul. Help us to be deep and wide in your word. May you encourage us with your fatherly grace, love and affection to live as your people well. Give us grace and forgiveness for all the trickiness that life throws at us. Help us to be convicted, not just what we believe, but who we belong to. Jesus, the Son of God, Spirit, comfort us to this, encourage us to this end, to be your people for the joy of knowing you and your glory. Amen.